Jacob Curtis is an associate counsel at Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, and he's been active in Wisconsin politics for over a decade. As a volunteer, capital staffer, and attorney, his involvement brings a unique perspective to the trajectory of conservatism in this state. Now, full disclosure, Jake and I have worked together on campaigns a couple times now, and Senator Dewey Strobel, whose office he worked in and discusses here, is a client of mine at Open Box Strategies. Today, we talk about Jake's own journey through conservative politics, some of the biggest wins for Republicans last session, what it means to be grassroots or establishment, and what's on the line in this year's elections to win the ideological battle. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake Curtis. My name is Jacob Curtis. I am an associate counsel at the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty and have been involved in campaigns and and uh, other kind of grassroots activities for, for quite a while. How long is quite a while? Well, probably beginning in 2004. Uh, I was an undergrad at, at UW-Eau Claire and got involved in the Tim Michaels U.S. Senate campaign. So that was really my, my first foray into, uh, into politics and uh, went to law school but, but continued to stay involved and, you know, helping out on campaigns, you know, running some campaigns, but just generally trying to stay as involved as I could. Did you have a, a political home? Was it something that was discussed a lot by your parents? By, was it a crazy uncle who always would have some opinion about Bush or something growing up? Uh, well, I do have one of those uncles. Yeah. He, he's a great guy, but uh, he is the crazy uncle, and uh, uh, but very well-read, and he, uh, he knows his stuff. Uh, but no, my parents were, um, I, I would say, uh, not, not overly active, but, you know, for example, I recall in 92, um, I believe uh, the first Bush did a, a, a whistle-stop tour through, through Wisconsin, and I vividly remember going with my dad, um, I, I believe up somewhere in the Fox Valley, and, and so that was probably my first real memory of, of politics. So it wasn't it wasn't you know overtly political, but you know definitely my, my folks are conservative and and uh, and gave me opportunities to to learn and, and to get involved. Um, but really, starting in college is, is when I really started getting involved. So they had a set of values they wanted you to have and, and raised you with that, but weren't necessarily espousing partisanship. Yeah, you know, it, it's totally cliche, but um, let your actions be the example. And, and so with my parents, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of talk, but yeah. it was just, you know, living, living those principles and, and, you know, working hard and, and raising their family. And, and um, so I have a brother and a sister, and they're, they're both very successful. So, no, I, I you know, love my parents, and uh, they, were, they were very good role models and, and continue to this day. You know, that, um, yeah. it's funny, uh, when I ran for the assembly back in 2011, uh, my folks and, and my in-laws, along with my wife, obviously, were, were, were basically the campaign team along with a few friends. It's not uncommon. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, it was a great, great support network. So you went off to college then and then got involved, and, I mean, the, the trope is you go and get liberalized in school, but you got active to the right. Yeah, yeah, and and I would I would argue it was a great experience. You know, growing up, going to private Lutheran grade school, private high school, uh, and then going off to UW Claire, which is actually a, a pretty liberal campus. Um, it it was actually a very good experience because it d- did challenge uh, me, and I think that's important. And, and frankly, I think it's unfortunate today that we don't have more of that on our yeah. on our campuses um, because I think it's good to be challenged and and to 
you know, ultimately question what you believe. And then if you find yourself continuing to believe that, then you can stand up and defend your principles and uh, defend what, what you believe. Charlie Sykes writes about it consistently. Our college campuses are not doing a service for, for right. you know, kind of the next generation, uh, particularly, you know, us as millennials. Um, you know, growing up in this environment where we're, our, our thoughts are never challenged, I, I think, you know, the natural manifestation is, you know, these, these safe zones. And it's just, it's bizarre that, that you know, people, are, you know, they feel, you know, uh, intimidated to even challenge their own thoughts. And, and I don't think that's a good thing. So you, you went to UW Claire and then you went, where'd you go to law school? UW for law school. Okay. Was the political bent different? at all from going from undergrad to, to law? I mean, what's the atmosphere like in that that very uh, uh, focused setting when you're talking just about legal, legal stuff, legal theory? Are, are law professors more or less liberal? Does, was it all over the place? That's, that's a really good question, and I think it's kind of counterintuitive, but um, I actually thought that the professors um, for undergrad were far more partisan. Yeah. And... Um, um, with the exception of one, um, almost the entire you know department at UW Claire was was pretty liberal. And you now, now look, I had, a, I had a good experience, you know. Sure. And and so if any of them ever listen to this, you know, I think they, you know, with the exception of one professor that was, I, I think, a little overtly political, um, you know, you know, they challenged they challenged us, and I think that was a good thing. Was was going to law to get that degree to inform a future in politics that you saw yourself taking? At the time, I, I think I always, I mean, I, I guess I always knew I wanted to go to law school. Um, I, I wasn't sure if I really wanted to practice um, mm. as I went through law school, but um, ultimately I, I knew I wanted to. And so, uh, you know, upon graduation, I worked at a big firm in, in uh, Milwaukee for, for about four years doing litigation. And, and then I went to a smaller firm doing litigation. And then, um, and then I did make the jump um, for 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 a year working for Senator Dewey Strobel, right. which was a tremendous experience. He's a, he's a he's an unbelievable guy. Um, and then now I'm at the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, uh, which is an amazing opportunity to um, you know get back into the legal field and to be practicing with people like Rick Atzenberg, um, C.J. You know Colin Roth. Just just a, it's a great group that that's growing and uh, and uh, we're doing a lot of cool things. But how did uh with your time in the Capitol with Senator Strobel, um, how did that change your perspective on both the, the legislative and the political process being a part of that, that insider ball? It, it, was a, it was a tremendous experience. I think anybody that um, is interested, again, you know, I had basically spent a decade helping out on campaigns, you know, running a few campaigns, getting friends to run, just I mean, truly being part of the grassroots which is, I know is cliche, but that, that there is a big difference um, because then taking the leap into the building, so to speak, um, and, and you know, working in, in a high-profile office like Senator Strobel's, um, it was a very different experience, and you learn uh, different things. And I encourage people, anybody that's part of more of the grassroots campaign side, I, th- I think if they want to do public policy long-term, politics long-term, I, I really encourage people to, um, you know, to use a baseball analogy, you know, get your cup of coffee in the building. I mean, you and I have worked on projects together. It's, it's one thing to put together a message for a candidate. And, and you know, the, the projects you and I have worked on, I think most people consider them to be probably more substantive than other campaigns. <laughs> I mean, we really do try to focus on 
know, what is what is this candidate actually going to do when right. he or she gets in into their position? And reminding them that at some point, you know, you're going to win and you're going to have to do all this stuff you're ta- you're talking right. about, which right. you get so wrapped up in campaign mode, you got to remember, hey, you're going to get elected if we do our job here, and people are going to remember what you said. Right, but I mean, so you and I worked on, you know, helped out on, on Dewey Strobel's campaign, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, you and I got sick of it, but ultimately we had five points where, look, if Dewey gets elected, this is what he's going to do. Right. And so it was a it was a great experience from my from my perspective, going from the campaign side and then immediately going into the building, and having an experience where, I mean, you and I were the ones that ran that campaign, so I knew what the five items were, right. and then immediately to be in the building, now it's time to execute and actually. Try, try to get those things done. And so obviously um, we didn't get full repeal, but repeal of prevailing wage mm-hmm. with the exception of the state was a huge policy win. That's something Dewey ran on. And then you know, within essentially three months, we got that done. Um, and I, I like to point out, um, if you look at the GAB lobbying um, report, that was the highest lobbied issue mm-hmm. last was session. And, uh, in terms of dollars? In terms of... I, I believe both dollars and hours. It is an important lesson going from the campaign side into the official side, into the building, um, because one of the one of the lessons I learned during that, um, and that, remember that was the first three months we were there, that was during the budget debate. Um, I remember having conversation after conversation where, you know, I, I was basically expressing Dewey's Dewey's a, a position on repeal of prevailing wage that it had to be part of uh, of of any any budget that he was going to agree to. And um, so I guess to your early question about what, what a learning lesson is, the response was kind of a smile, like, okay, well, we get that the position, but really, what, what is he willing to take? And I would tell people, look, he wants as close to full repeal as we can get because— That wasn't shtick. This is a guy who ran on principle. Right, and, and, and um, it was an important learning lesson for me knowing that in, in the building, so to speak— um, there's kind of this this unspoken rule that well you have your policy position but you know okay really what is the position what are you willing to take right. and so when we would tell people no we're we're serious this is this is his position um, I think that ultimately played in our favor because it got to the point towards the end of the budget negotiations where people realized uh, Dewey and 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 Senator Nas and Senator Lassay they're serious they're not budging and then it's just a simple math game at that point where you know they need those votes to get the budget passed um and then ultimately when we when we when we were able to get that included um th- then Dewey went out and he championed what was a, a pretty conservative budget again not perfect no budget is ever going to be perfect um but that was that was, a, that was probably the, the biggest lesson I learned you mentioned earlier the big difference between the grassroots and the establishment or the grassroots and, and everybody else how does that where is that divide in Wisconsin well, I've written about this, and I think Wisconsin is a very uh, interesting example of of the gap not being that wide. And, and, and I guess one of my theories, I know you've talked about this, um, how Wisconsin is just so interesting and so unique. And I, my theory is that um, we don't have this huge gap. I mean, you look at a guy like Scott Walker. Scott Walker's been governor for, um, you know, going on six years now. Um in the eyes of a lot of folks, he's now probably part of the establishment. 
Um, but, you know, you and I, folks that, that grew up in southeast Wisconsin, we know Scott Walker, I mean, he's, he's of the grassroots. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why, like, the establishment is such a meaningless term because as soon as you have a position of power, you're legislating, aren't you establishment? Right. Aren't right. you suddenly part of someone who was elected to office? So it's this, this uh, label you get that is, I think has become meaningless. I mean, I've heard people describe Dewey Strobel's establishment. Well, I mean, that's, okay, that's laughable. Paper, yeah, right. Because, well, that's what I mean. So, like, it's become this, this ineffective term that's used by people who want to take the office, usually. Like, look, at, like, look at the guy challenging Paul Ryan. Saying he's grassroots Paul Ryan's establishment. Well, he's the Speaker of the House. Right. It's hard to, as soon as you're in that system, you're working in the system, aren't you establishment? It's this pejorative that I don't think needs to necessarily be. And, and that's why I think the questions you're asking are really the more important qu- questions. What is the actual difference between, you know, grassroots and the establishment? You know, and, and, and more specifically, you know, what policy positions are people championing? Yeah. And, and are they overly influenced by special interest? You know, because th- there are people out there that um, that are probably considered more part of the grassroots, but are very much in- influenced by special interest. That's an interesting way to define it, I think. Actually, yeah. But, I mean, you know, whose whose interest do you have in mind? Ultimately, is is a good way to to answer that. I think sometimes just to automatically label people establishment. And your example about Paul Ryan's challenger is great. And, you know, and Sigma has done a great job mm-hmm. really digging into that guy's past. And, and and it's kind of a joke that he's running around. And and but 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 the problem is you have the national conservative media now getting behind it. I know Charlie has talked about this the, the dynamic here where you have like the national conservative media who's getting behind Paul Ryan's challenger, and here at home. We have somebody like Sigma actually digging in this guy's record and exposing him as, as kind of a fraud. Right. And you know, and then and then you know, looking at Ryan, he's got a tough job. He's Speaker of the House, which is, as we've seen, you know, with Boehner, not an easy job. Um, but to say that now Paul Ryan is somehow establishment, you know, again, folks like you and I grew up reading, you know, his 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 articles and 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 appreciating how, you know, he was he was he was standing up for things like you know you know. Let's actually look at welfare reform. You know, how do the, how do these how does this war on poverty? How is this actually working? I mean, these are, these are very serious policy questions, and truly trying to you know reform the federal government, which is about as tough a task as one could have. You mentioned working with the Cruz campaign uh, while it was really intense in Wisconsin. What was uh, the story you tell? I mean, was there anything that just blew you away about the presidential campaign system or? Anything that was funny or interesting or crazy or unbelievable? Um, the intensity is is unbelievable. It's off the charts. In terms of time involvement? Everything. E- everything. everything. Um, so it's like the stuff you do locally times uh, just in terms of people and resources and money and travel. and. It, it, it is amazing. Uh, right now, I, I don't watch much TV at all, but um, right now um, my wife got uh, one of those the fire sticks. And so sure. um, I've just been looking through stuff, and I started watching the circus. Oh yeah, it's the, on Sh- Showtime or something. The yeah. weekly recap. And it, it is it is it is great. It, it's total political soap opera. I mean, there's not much analysis, but it's it's actually really interesting behind the scenes coverage, and and I think it does a really good job of telling the story of how intense a schedule these guys have, and and, and how it, it, it there's just there's no rest. And I think yeah. that was one of the things that stuck out to me. You know, so Senator Cruz was essentially here for two weeks, along with his wife and 
Carly and 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 his his kind of apparatus and it's just it's nonstop mm. and and uh, I, I when people say it's you know one of the most physically grueling things one can go through I I, I agree with that um, again just not that I really had much exposure but just those two weeks it's 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 amazing and and not just in terms of the events but even after the lights go off there's stuff to do phone calls well so seven o'clock rally um, you know let's say it's done by eight. Uh, yeah, they're going back. They're doing calls till, you know, interviews till 10 or 11, and then they're planning for the next day. Um, and then it all starts again at 8 o'clock the next morning. Yeah. So it is very intense. Um, but, no, it, it was a great experience. Uh, obviously, with the family, it would have been tough for me to do it uh, on any bigger of a scale. But just right. getting those two weeks was, was, was a great experience. Um, I guess one of the things I, I, I observed was, it, it, it really is interesting to see the power of kind of the mainstream media and how they can kind of caricature somebody mm. uh, because Senator Cruz is actually um, a really laid-back guy um, sure. and, and kind of fun-loving and um, obviously intense, but uh, yeah. very personable. I had the opportunity to, at one point, um, one of the days uh, I, got, I got to drive around with him, and, and Dewey said the same thing because he was on the bus with him on a couple of his stops. Um, and and I, my strategy was to sit there, drive, not, right. not not interfere with him. And he ends up talking to me for about a half hour yeah. on the ride over. And, and, and um, a very personable guy. His, his wife is, is wonderful. His kids are great. And, and so you compare that um, to to kind of this this narrative that you well, see in the media. Well, what we saw about him. I mean, I was I'm proudly a Rubio guy, and I – thought policy wise I like Ted Cruz a lot. I just don't like him. Yeah. Until I until it was just down to him and there was more time to see him. It was in any debate, any other circumstance, he just rubbed me the wrong way because of however he was presented. Yeah. And that was it was an emotional thing and I, I admitted that. When it comes down to my vote and I tell this to candidates, people vote for people they like. Right. And I just didn't like him until I saw more of that because there was more time to see that. So that's very interesting to me. But having had that personal interaction you Really yeah, and, I, and, and, and it's a good point you raised because obviously I was I was blessed to have a very unique experience to actually be you know behind closed doors right. with them. But even in the public, I mean, um, there's a great event. It was one of the events I got to really help orchestrate, which was a cool experience. Um, we had a stop in Cedarburg at this little custard stand I go to all, all the time with my wife and kids. Um, place was packed, and he spent you know an hour and a half. I mean, shaking every hand he yeah. could, and everybody walked away saying, "Wow, this guy is dynamic. He's 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 personable." And a lot of people actually commented, gosh, it's nothing like, you know, they see in the media as right. he's this nasty, you know, extreme conservative. Why do you think, I'll give Governor Walker the credit just because he ran on, on these reforms and he won and introduced everything with Act 10. He's been able to survive recall and be fairly, I guess I don't want to say popular because the numbers don't bear that out. But he's he's led led these changes in the state and we have a conservative legislature for the last six years. In a blue state, traditionally, why why do you think that's been? Be, because, I, to your point, because I think we have elected officials that, I mean, they obviously understand the politics um, and need to, to win re-election. Um, you know, and act, but Act 10 being the best example of actually running on real policy positions. Even, does that... Why are those able to win, though, with a lot of people who are thinking emotionally or vote liberal so often presidentially or for you know, Tammy Baldwin that we're still going to push conservative ideas and they, they go, okay, I'm going to keep you in office even though you're voting this way? 
No, it's, that's a good question. Um, I, I think, and you know, I don't have any data to show this, but I guess my theory would be that you know, even people on the fence are willing to give elected officials a chance if they actually lay out substantive, substantive items and are actually willing to implement them. Um, it's one thing to run around and, and say, you know, we're going to tax the rich. And, and, you know, we need, we need to expand, you know, this program or that program. Um, but when you have somebody like Walker who comes in and says, you know, we, we have a broken, um, you know, budget process, we have uh, a ballooning deficit, um, or, you know, our, our test scores are not competitive, and this is what I'm going to do about it, um, I think people are willing to give that a chance. Uh, but, I mean, you and I have experienced this, you know, where, where we, we put together some some policy positions for a candidate and, you know, the traditional uh, political analysis is, well, that's too specific. The voters need to get right. in that specifics. I mean, I think you and I had the experience where um, we were talking, um, we were talking about, uh, about prevailing wage and the personal property tax. And, you know, some, some consultant that we were working with said, well, that's too specific. You know, voters don't know that. And our response was, no, the voters in Washington and Ozaki County, they know exactly right. what prevailing wage is. They know exactly what the personal property tax is, and they know why those are bad policies. So be, speak to the people about not just what they want to hear, but what needs to get done, and it's going to vary across the state. And what I'm hearing from you is Republican candidates, maybe in more contentious areas, just need to be honest, need to address the issues and have substantive answers to the, the questions people have. Exactly. I mean, let's, one example would be um, taxes. You know, I think the, the, general, the general consensus is uh, on the right, yes, we need lower taxes. Um, but like you and I have experienced, well, every Republican is for lower taxes. Which taxes are you going to lower? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why something like personal property tax. I mean, most people know that's essentially a $270 million hit on small businesses every year. You know, go talk to your local local, you know, bar owner, restaurant owner, you know, they're getting taxed for every chair and table they have right. in the building. They're getting taxed for their dishwasher. And, and you, you talk to the average person, I think most would, would consider that a ridiculous policy position. And, you know, we, we talk about job growth and growing the economy. You know, don't, don't hit the small businesses with, with a ridiculous tax. So, again, the point is, you know, if you're running a campaign in outstate Wisconsin, my encouragement is don't just say you're for lower taxes. Outline what you're going to do. Mm. You know, you're going to lower the corporate income tax rate to make our businesses more competitive. You're going to try to eliminate the personal property tax. And, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a, 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 a thousand-word essay. Right. It you're, can be just I'm right. going to work on eliminating the personal personal, personal property tax. Be relatable. And that re- resonates with the voters. Spoken like a true consultant. <laughs> um, all right, and then we end usually with a set of Wisconsin-based Opinion questions. So your uh, your your favorite, and this can go a lot of ways, uh, past or living Wisconsin politician. I think you know Scott Walker again. For those of us, I, I know everybody's probably going to answer it that way. Oh, no, they've been pretty diverse. So yeah, far. you know, again, this is uh, growing up in Southeast Wisconsin. I I remember. The pension debacle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I remember how you know when Scott Walker stood up, and and ran in let's face it not a friendly county, and and then you know ran on conservative budgets in an unfriendly county. Um, so you know I, I, I it's hard to to say that Scott Walker is not 
not uh, you know the person that I would would look, would look up to. And also, I mean, Dewey Strobel again, ha- having having worked, with, having that, worked yeah. with him and really seeing how he operates, it, it it is refreshing because while there's a lot of special interest in Madison, it's refreshing to see somebody that is willing to you know let his actions speak and and being really motivated to protect taxpayers. And, and, you know, I carpooled with Dewey. We'd get into Madison, we'd get our job done, and we'd get back to the district because, yeah, he has a business, he has a, a large family, yeah. and that, that's what motivates him. Um, and so, obviously, I, 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 I think the world of Dewey and, and then, you know, at the higher level, you know, Scott Walker, you know, I think we should be really proud to have him as our governor. Agreed. Uh, your favorite Wisconsin vacation spot? Uh, Manitowish Waters. What's uh, there? Um, so my family, uh, we've gone up there uh, a number of years, uh, Eagle River and Manitowish Waters, so I guess Vilas County. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, it's great. I have two kids, seven and five, and then a third on the way. Um, and so, uh, uh, but they love it up there. Um, it is, it is, you know, my, cu- my kids love being outside, which is really cool. You know, in the in the day and age of video games, you know, right. you know my, my kids actually prefer just to be outside, which is that, which is, is cool. That yeah, it's rare. Um, and so we do a lot of fishing and and uh, just just hanging out. Favorite Wisconsin brewed beer? I knew you were going to ask this, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I, if if Senator Strobel <laughs> is listening, I will. Uh, uh, I love Spotted Cow. Oh boy. And oh, I, we have this huge. De- there was this huge I, debate I, I, in the office. Now, now one well, of your debate might be different than mine. One of Dewey's staffers, um, I won't name him, but everybody will know who he is that that <laughs> knows the office. Claims that that it's it's a Republican family. Um, that's not my understanding. Nope. Um, and and Dewey chides me every time if we're at an event and I have a spotted cow. He yells at me. Um, but I, I'm sorry. It's it's it's, it's great beer. <sighs> Favorite Wisconsin news source. Wisconsin-centric. Um, well, you know, I, I think right Wisconsin is a great, great place uh, to start your morning and, and gives you a good, um, you know, taste for the national news. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I guess to one of the points I would want to make to Charlie's credit, he really does give folks an opportunity. I think that's why what you're doing is so cool because we have this vibrant grassroots, and frankly, people just kind of need the opportunity to get involved. Um, so I've contributed quite a bit to Right Wisconsin, and I, you know, there's a lot of people that that do some great writing. Um, I love that he has officials, you know, um, Dewey, Dale Kliengel, you know, uh, Senator Vukmir. A lot of folks have written for Right Wisconsin, so it's it's a great, you know, diverse group of grassroots public officials, you know, business leaders. So I think that's a great source, um, you know. But you know, Brian Sigma does does great work um, more on kind of the investigative um, side of things. So, but to your point, that, you know, it's what makes Wisconsin special is that we have this vibrant, you know, we have a vibrant, you know, grassroots that includes kind of this more conservative media, which is, you know, I, a lot of states don't have that. No, not at all. That's what part of what makes us so cool and weird at the same time. And then finally, I think you know what's coming: beer or cheese curds. Um, one. Well, you have one. You can have one. Yeah, and I won't. I won't take James's. Uh, that was a very clever move he had. <laughs> um, uh, I would have to go. I love beer, but I, I got to go cheese curds. I, my wife jokes that that it's like my my staple in my diet. Um, yeah, and, fried cheese. Well, you're staying trim. Not 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 fried necessarily, but <laughs> Any basically kind of anything cheese? with cheese. All food, I argue, can have cheese with it. So but when we put it in a sal- if you can put cheese in a salad, where can't you have it? Exactly. Exactly. Oh,